Okay, so we're going through the book of Philippians verse by verse this morning. I have verses 27 and 30 to preach. I'm gonna read it, I'm gonna pray, then I'm gonna preach. Does that sound good? All right, Philippians 1, 27, it says this, Paul writing, little context, Paul is in a prison cell. 10 years ago, he planted a church in Philippi. Uh, it's 10 years later, he's in a prison cell. Someone from Philippi came, brought him a gift. He writes a letter to give to this guy to bring back to Philippi. That's the letter we're reading. This is what it says in verses 27 through 30. It says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, with one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This is gonna be a sign to them that they're gonna be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. I, I pray for an anointing over this word that in these moments together, you would allow the preaching to be powerful and effective to penetrate um, the hearts in the room. I pray for a tilling of the soil in the heart of every person in this room, that it would be fertile ground to receive the seed of your word, to receive the seed of your truth. Let it take root in our heart. Let it grow to produce fruit in our lives. We wanna be transformed by your word. Cultivate us into a company of kingdom people. And I pray this church would continue to foster kids in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I took you guys uh, just on a little journey with me through my week in Africa and some of the things that we got to do as a church and some of the ways we got to minister. And one of those moments consisted of a 94-year-old lady that we brought food named Maria. Y'all remember Maria? She busted into spontaneous praise and it was unbelievable. And you know, what I didn't tell you about Maria is when we rolled up onto her property, she had tears in her eyes and, and, and there was gratitude that was just pouring out of this woman. And she said, I know God loves me. I know God loves me because he sent you guys from America to my house. She was blown away that people from America would end up on her property in the middle of nowhere Zimbabwe, Doyana Zimbabwe, this, this poor little village community. And, and here people have come to bring her food and to pray with her. Um, and, and this seemed to be kind of a continual theme while we were in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, our, like our citizenship in America, uh, it almost seemed to grant us some type of superiority or like automatic influence with people. There was this preconceived notion that like, oh, you're from America, so you're rich and you're, and you're important. Now, obviously we know that's not true, but as humans, it's like, man, we do that all the time, don't we? Like even subconsciously, we just categorize the value of people. Like we, like we observe, okay, their, their status, their influence, their wealth, uh, their followers, the strength of their gift, the list goes on. We know that, you know, now we know that all of humanity holds value because all of humanity has been created and called by God. And whether or not humanity responds to that call is a different conversation, but specifically for those who have placed faith in Jesus, uh, uh, not only only are we deemed citizens of heaven, but we're given this new title, masterpiece. 
we understand that we've been created anew in Christ Jesus to do good things. That as we place our faith in Jesus, we grow in our awareness of the fact that he has good plans for my life, that he has a divine calling and purpose for my life. The word says all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Like if you're in the room, if you've got breath in your lungs, it's because Jesus mapped out your life, that Jesus created you, that he wants relationship with you and that he has work for you to do while you're on this earth. What's so beautiful about the gospel is tall, short, skinny, fat, white, black, rich, poor, we all got significant purpose because of, not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. Amen? It's, it's this level playing field of when I place faith in Jesus, come on, we're all part of this faith family. We're all part of the kingdom. The gospel infuses everyone with divine purpose and significance because of who we now belong to, which is the total opposite of culture because humanity is in this constant comparison battle. We're all working hard to prove our own worth, to prove why we're significant, to prove why we belong. Culture places great value on our outward appearance and material possession and and people's charisma instead of their character. And it's important to know that this sinful worldview that some people are more valuable than others and some people are better than others was definitely present in Philippi. Paul's aware of it. And Paul has this in his head while he's writing this letter to the Philippians, even the ones who, you know, are already part of the church. He wants to make sure that this doesn't exist in them. It's important to know that in a, Rome is the superpower of the world at this time this letter is being written. And there's really two classes of citizens. There's Roman citizens and not Roman citizens. Most people weren't considered Roman citizens and citizenship, it was highly valued, gave you special privileges. If you were a Roman citizen, you were one of the cool kids. It gave you special tax privileges and certain uh, favor in judicial systems and all types of stuff. And uh, citizenship only came by birth. It could be bought at a high price or if I did something honorable enough, then I could be granted uh, Roman citizenship. Everybody wanted to be a Roman citizen. It it was highly desired for for all of those reasons to gain those special privileges, but it was the same special privileges that the Romans were experiencing that catalyzed pride in them to believe that I'm better than people, right? They looked down upon those who didn't have their citizenship and felt a sense of superiority, but even the governmental systems put in place would favor those who were citizens. So for a long time, you have Philippi. It's this insignificant little farming town, um, 4,600 miles away from Rome. And a battle breaks out in Philippi in 42 BC. And this Roman battle is won under the emperor Augustus. And so Philippi uh, becomes a Roman colony and it gains uh, special Roman favor. It gains that status. And this, this new status gave him all these special rights. And the Roman emperor gave him special privileges. It gave him the favor of Rome. And Philippi becomes this place where for lots of Roman citizens, specifically retired Roman citizens who served in the military will go to retire. Uh, we could say that Philippi is like a Roman Florida. Okay, that makes sense. Come on, we're preaching the Bible. Praise God. 
So 10 years before this letter's written, Paul walks into the city, Philippi, that, is, that has this Roman culture, that has these two classes of citizens. And if you have your Roman citizenship, you know, uh, Roman culture is, it's very much about like how much, how luxurious can you live? It's about being aristocratic. It's about being proper. It's about uh, uh, trying to outdo one another with how well I dress and how fancy we can be and how nice I can smell and how much stuff I have. And Paul shows up into this town, a missionary with this message about a man who is neither a Roman citizen, nor is he a soldier, yet he claims that he's the most significant being to ever live because he's the only one who can forgive sins. In fact, he created all of humanity and all of humanity was created for him. It's offensive to this culture. So offensive, Paul gets beat up for preaching and kicked out of the city. But while he was there, he was there long enough for the embers of his efforts to continue burning. So even though Paul's not there, the church is still alive. And that's why 10 years later, he has a church to write to. He has a church to give instruction to. Paul preaches about a man named Jesus, right? He was neither Roman citizen or soldier. But Paul equipped these believers and they... Uh, continued on carrying the, me- the, the gospel message. And so, uh, y- you know, he, he, he knows that these people, but he, so, so he's familiar, he's, he's well acquainted with the culture of Philippi, this Roman culture that, that, that people are, are walking around with this like, I'm better than you mentality and, and they're snooty and trying to out bougie one another. And, you know, this is, this is like, you know, like all of culture is a big fashion show or something. Come on, you ever walked into an event loving your outfit? knew that you were working it, where you like walk different because of it. It's like, you just, I'm here, you know? You, you ever competed in any type of competition and you know you were a top performer and so you walk around the event and like don't even talk to the, some of the other competitors who aren't on your level because you know, you know, you know how, how, how good you are or whatever it is. Hopefully none of us have done this. These are bad examples. Come on, you showed up to the rodeo. You knew you, you rode bulls better than anybody else. Shout out, I thought about Marshfield while I was preaching this. Let's go. We've all had moments where we've conducted ourselves in a way that we that acknowledge what we're a part of. And you know, for the good and for the bad. Hopefully not in in the ways that I've shared. But Paul speaking to this culture where they conduct themselves to be better than one another, where they conduct themselves in in this constant comparison of how uh, aristocratic and wealthy and bougie I can be. He says, forget about the way you once conducted yourselves in the way that the rest of the culture around you is conducting themselves. Your primary citizenship doesn't belong to Rome. Verse 27, he says this, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Paul says that these people have been so entangled with impressing others and outdoing one another and flaunting what they have and what they've attained. He says, listen, as Jesus followers, we conduct ourselves differently. Paul says, even if you're a Roman citizen, as believers, our primary citizenship uh, belongs to the kingdom of heaven. 
And, there, and there's a specific culture in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there's something specific that the people of the kingdom of heaven exude, and it's pretty much the opposite of what the world will teach. So many of us, we find our allegiance to our titles. I'm a blue-collar worker. I'm a white-collar worker. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. Jesus isn't concerned with our tax bracket. He's concerned that his citizens are cultivating kingdom character. Conduct yourselves worthy of the good news. School teacher, real estate agent, stay-at-home mom, CEO, pastor. We can go as broad as American. What shapes who we are is a grand understanding of whose we are. All those other titles, all that, that's all secondary citizenship. We don't let the emperor shape our character and our values. We have a different king, and his name is Jesus, and he's our Lord. And what he says, go, and he's cultivating, he, he's cultivating his kingdom here on earth. And his instruction, when the world says, yeah, stand up, beat your chest, let him know. We're not prideful, we're humble. We're not exclusive, we're inclusive. We're not irritated, we're patient. We're not cruel, we're kind. We're not superior, we honor others. We're not harsh, we're life-giving. We're not deceptive, we love justice. We're not fearful, we're courageous. We're not insecure, we're confident. We don't just do what's good for us, we love to serve others. The list goes on. My citizenship should shape my character. And so people should be able to tell who I belong to as a Jesus follower. Amen. The rest of verse 27 says this. And then, he, so, so he says, then, then whether I come and see you again or I only hear about you, because I don't know if I'm getting out of this prison cell, so we're going to figure it out. Whether I see you again or not, he says, I'll know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Paul says, if you conduct yourselves in a way worthy of the good news, unity is gonna be present in the body. Uh, courage is gonna be present in the body. Harmony is gonna be present in the body because you're united in thought and purpose. Philippians 1.28. And then he says this, you have to remember, Paul has been in Philippi. Paul's been beat up in Philippi because of it, okay? He knows that carrying around this faith, that being foolish enough to believe that this man Jesus might be the savior of the world uh, is enough to, for me to experience some real rejection in my culture, for me, for me to be mistreated by others, for me to be left out, potentially even beat in this culture. He says, don't be intimidated by any of your enemies. Why? Because this will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed and that you're going to be saved by God himself. It'll be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed and that you're going to be saved even by God himself. This is a powerful revelation here. Paul, Paul understanding that persecution in its many forms are, is a reality for the people in Philippi, he exhorts them to, to keep on keeping on. 
He exhorts them to keep following Jesus, to keep preaching Jesus, to keep doing the work of the ministry, to keep their gaze on Jesus, regardless of their earthly circumstance and situation, right? He says, like many of us, like, like you know, what I have in my notes is how many of us will get intimidated, like we'll be sitting in our hairdresser's chair, like wanting to share something about Jesus. And it's like, oh, but I, I don't want to step on toes, but will I say it right? I just, I don't know how much I know, like... And like the people in Philippi, they'll get beat up, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Your hairdresser is going to be like, oh, that's such a great thought. They're working for tips. Come on. Like, you can't lose in the chair. You know what I mean? Never mind risk getting beat ups. Some of us need to have a serious conversations with ourselves. How real is the gospel to us? What are we willing to risk? What, what kind of, because if it's real, it'll catalyze courage and confidence that it doesn't matter what happens to me on this earth because I'm sealed in him, because my purpose is found in him. So I don't have to live for the approval of man anymore. I don't, I don't have to be so concerned and distracted by rapport and reputation. Like how real is the gospel to us? Paul says, don't be intimidated at all. How real is the gospel? Am I more concerned with self-preservation? Preserving my rapport with people, protecting my reputation, not stepping on toes, knowing hell is a reality for those who don't believe. How real is the gospel to me? Does my life testify that it's the priority of my life? Does my life testify that I'm a citizen of heaven? Paul helps the believers understand that their denial of intimidation, it's, you know, to, to not be intimidated by their enemies, it, it's not just to appear confident and courageous, but, but their unwavering commitment, conducting themselves in a way that's worthy of the gospel will actually, this, this, is, this is good. If you're taking notes, I would write this. My unwavering commitment to Christ, knowing my salvation is found in Jesus, knowing I'm sealed in him, my conduct, right? What, regardless of how people accept me, deny me, reject me, whatever, think it's foolish, whatever it might be, my conduct will prophesy to the people in proximity. That's what the word tells us. And I'm gonna show us in the scripture here. My conduct will prophesy to people in proximity. What do you mean? He says, this will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved by God himself. I wanna break this down. This word destroyed means apoleia, okay? And that word defined in the original Greek is, is the destruction which consists of eternal misery and hell. I wanna bring up this passage from John 8 where Jesus is having a conversation with uh, some people in proximity. And it says this, Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own. He sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. 
I, I think we often fail to recognize uh, the strength of spiritual influence that a lot of us live under. And, and we know that, you know, we know uh, without Jesus, we don't have access to the Father. The Word teaches us that Jesus is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. No one gets to the Father except through Him. He is our high priest, He's our mediator. And so if our spiritual influence isn't the spirit of Jesus, if it's not the Holy Spirit at work within us that we receive as we place faith in Jesus, if that's not our spiritual influence, then we need to ask ourselves a real question. Who is our spiritual influence then? What is our spiritual influence? If the word is true and we don't have access to the Father but through a relationship with Jesus, if eternity with God is only received through faith in Christ and his work on the cross, those who reject the gospel are destined for eternity in hell and their lives are subject to demonic influence. Paul is saying, this is what Paul's saying in his verse. He's essentially saying, as we walk with this unwavering commitment, the Christ in me irritates the devil in them. I, I, I said it like this. I would write this in your notes. Your Christ-like conduct will catalyze conviction in them. The reason that's good is not to say like, oh, I'm better than you, you don't know Jesus. It's for their hearts to be convicted for us to bring the good news. But hey, even though we're broken, even though we couldn't be perfect for the standard of heaven, even though we couldn't get it all right and be good enough, like, like none of us are good. None of us are good. It's only because Jesus, it, it, it breaks that down so we can have that conversation. Our Christ-like conduct will catalyze conviction in them, but also our Christ-like conduct will catalyze confidence in us, knowing that as we live, as we talk, as we think, as we act more like Jesus, we recognize the fruit of our salvation blossoming in our lives physically, and we know that our eternity is with him forever. We're all in constant need of a reminder that our earthly circumstances are not always congruent with our heavenly realities. Yes, you're more than a conqueror in Christ. It's true. That's a heavenly reality. His word is true. Like when we're in Jesus, we win. We win. Doesn't matter what happens on earth. We know that eternity is with him. When, when we're with Jesus in Christ, we're more than conquerors. But that doesn't mean tragedy, trauma, and drama will never rear its ugly head in your life. Like I thought I was more than a conqueror in Jesus, but everybody's being mean to me. Or, I don't know. My point is, our heavenly realities aren't always congruent with our earthly realities, okay? Yes, I'm God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus, but that doesn't mean people aren't gonna make fun of you or reject you or leave you out. Paul's writing to help create a clear separation between heavenly realities and earthly circumstances, and this is why he writes what he did in verses 29 and 30. He said, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege. Oh, that's an interesting word to use for this, but, but also the privilege of suffering for him. And Paul suffered too. You know what? Paul didn't preach the gospel and everybody handed him candy after. Okay? Paul's been beat up. Paul's been kicked out of town. Paul's been arrested. Paul's literally writing the letter in a prison cell. 
for, for the work of the kingdom. And he writes to the people in Philippi who have probably experienced a lot of these things in their own culture as they've carried this news. And he's saying, y'all, we're in this struggle together. You've seen my struggle in the past and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. As a staff, we went through this book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And if, if you've been in ministry, if you are in ministry, if you wanna be in ministry, honestly, I would recommend it to everybody. It's called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And in chapter four, the title of the chapter is follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. And I thought this chapter was so good. And excuse me, at one point in this chapter, um, the author brings up the story where Jesus is walking with his disciples and he starts to share with his disciples like, hey, as we get back to Jerusalem, like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be killed, but I'm gonna come back to life in three days. And Peter is like deeply disturbed by this because the Messiah was gonna bring freedom. The, the Messiah was gonna bring victory. The Messiah was gonna kick the door down and, and light the place up and give the Jews freedom. And so when Jesus is like, I'm gonna die, but I'm gonna come back to life in three days, Peter, it gets all worked up. And so we see it in Matthew 16. It says, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand Jesus saying for, for him saying such things. He said, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely through a human point of view rather than through God's because our heavenly realities aren't always congruent with our earthly perspectives, right? And, and so he uses this story to illustrate a point, and I'm just gonna read out of the book because he said it better than I could, that the author Peter said this about Peter. At this point, he says at this point, Peter understands only half of the gospel. Like so many of us, he's Christ-centered, but not cross-centered. Peter has a high view of Jesus as the Messiah. He's captivated by him as the miracle working triumphant savior. Peter truly wants to follow Jesus. In fact, he's left everything to follow him, but he wants to follow a Jesus who avoids, not embraces the cross. The world will constantly scream at us, be popular, be great. Be successful, avoid suffering. But these are the lights that the enemy loves to disguise himself in. Because Jesus taught, reject popularity. Be popular with me. Reject being seen as great, be great with me. Reject being seen as successful with others, be a success with me. Don't avoid suffering and failure, embrace it. And we've got to get to a place, church, where we understand that following Jesus is countercultural. And a lot of times, following Jesus, it isn't going to make you more friends, it isn't going to make you more influence. It isn't going to give you greater popularity, but Paul is so clear that sometimes, you know, Paul's so clear that, that following Jesus is actually going to do the opposite sometimes. It's like it's, it's, going to lead you into, it's going to lead you into suffering. But it's okay because as, as believers, as citizens, I like that note, really emphasize 
That's what I needed right there. As believers, as citizens of heaven, we're, con- we're content to be popular with just him alone. In fact, that becomes the goal of our lives. That becomes the, that, that becomes the mission. Lord, I was created through you. I was created for you. I don't exist for myself. And, and, and y'all, I don't know, maybe I got some people in the room where you lived life for yourself. You tried to fill the hole. You chased the girls. You drank the booze. You did the drugs. You made the money, whatever it was. And guess what? That hole was still there because you weren't created for those things. But your divine purpose it was found in Jesus and, and, and it's like, and he's inviting you into this relationship. Our theme for the year is the table and he wants you to take a seat at the table. He's named you son and daughter. He's created you and he wants to sit with you and he wants to look you in the eye and, and he wants to embrace you and he wants to take you on a journey with him and he wants to lead you into good places. But, but what you thought was good might be different than what he thought was good but it's only in him. Without Jesus embracing the Father's will, which included suffering, which included persecution, which included the crucifixion, humanity is left without the way, without the truth, without the life, we're stuck dead in our sin. And this is why Paul writes to the Philippian church and says, don't let your earthly struggles hinder your heavenly perspective. God in his infinite ability, in his infinite resource is able to work all things together for your good and for his glory. But we have to trust him and we have to understand that, that, that this earth thing is temporary, but eternity with him is forever. With lights down in the room, moment of privacy here. This is between you and the Lord talking about being a citizen of heaven. It's only Jesus who provides us the citizenship. It's only him in whom the citizenship is found. We all have sin. We're not good people. We couldn't live good enough for the next life to be good for us. There is heaven. There is hell. The gate is narrow. It's Jesus wants a relationship with you. He just invites us to believe. He covers us. He deposits his Holy Spirit in us. He makes us new. Maybe you're in the room and you know you don't have a relationship with Jesus. He wants a relationship with you. I want to give you a practical first start. I just want to say a simple prayer with you where we just confess to him, Lord, I'm ready for that relationship. And immediately we become citizens of heaven. If you're in the room and you say you want a relationship with Jesus, you haven't had a relationship with Jesus, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you're ready for that. If that's you, would you just put your hand in the air right now? I just want to lead us in a simple prayer. Nothing crazy, nothing crazy. I'm ready. I want a relationship with Jesus. I want him to be Lord of my life. I want a relationship with Jesus. Thanks. I see that hand. I want to follow him. See that hand. Come on, let's all stand to our feet. Let's say this prayer together loud and proud. Unashamed. Jesus, we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts 
Jesus is Lord. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm never going back. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.